Well, hey, folks, um, I, just a quick segment here. I wanted to give you, um, take just a minute here and give you a list of some resources. Um, since we've been sort of putting books in front of you sort of throughout the course of the year and encouraging you uh, as a church to read those books uh, and by the way, right now we're reading a book together called Reappearing Church by Mark Sayers. I've had more and more people say, um, could you give us more of those resources? Could you tell us more about what you're studying and what we could be studying if we want to uh, dig a little deeper? And so I'm, I'm trying to um, list uh, resources and stuff during the messages and putting them on the slides and stuff. But I'm also going to take just a minute here on the podcast um, to hit a, f- a few things that I just I can I would like to encourage you to read. So um, we, we just finished a series in three parts called Scapegoat. Of course, that's on this very podcast feed if you want to give it a listen. And just uh, a couple books I want to reference about that. If you found that helpful, you wanted to dig in a bit more. The the first one um, by Ronald Rollheiser, a book called Sacred Fire. Uh, this is an outstanding book on uh, spiritual formation and growing in our maturity before the Lord. And uh, Rollheiser is Catholic, so he writes from a Catholic perspective. So there's stuff I, I don't necessarily agree with that's, that's kind of peppered in there. But like at the very heart of this is just an incredible book about how to walk with Jesus and take further steps in that. So I encourage that book. And uh, there's a chapter in that book where he focuses on this idea of scapegoat. And it's just such a great summation. And um, it's really what got me um, uh, considering the subject more and ultimately led to this sermon series. So that would be a book to read. And then in general, the work of Rene Girard, who is just a brilliant thinker, um, and his, his stuff is heady and kind of hard to, hard to follow sometimes. So just a heads up, he is an intellectual and he writes as an intellectual. Um, and he talks about sociology and history and anthropology. And so he's sort of this, uh, lots of streams sort of converge in his thoughts. Um, but he has a, spent a tremendous amount of time thinking about this idea of scapegoat. So um, a book, if you wanted to get one from him, is uh, I Saw Satan Fall Like Lightning. It has a chapter on scapegoat that is um, a really good uh, a really good summation of that. And then uh, really, you, can, you should be able to, to hop on the old Google machine, type scapegoat and the word Rene Girard, and you'll find lots of information if, for free without having to buy anything if you want to dig in just a bit more. Now, um, that's the former series. We have just begun a new series on the book of Galatians, and we are going to spend a lot of time just slowly working our way through chapter and verse uh, through the book of Galatians. And uh, I just wanted to let you know what our, my main resources are for that. Um, the, the primary resource uh, is a commentary. It's called Galatians. It's written by N.T. Wright. We talk about N.T. Wright a whole lot. I think he is um, I think he is the best uh, biblical scholar alive today. I, I think his his work is just ab- it's voluminous. He just writes and writes and writes, and um, he writes uh, stuff that's accessible to anybody. He writes stuff that's so technical it's impossible to read. Um, and this commentary called Galatians is kind of in the middle between those. So um, it's, uh, it, it is a commentary. It's a bit intellectual. It's kind of heady, but it's not super technical like a lot of commentaries, frankly, are. So it's more readable than most commentaries. And this is my primary uh, uh, resource that I'm using as I'm putting this Galatians sermon series together. And week by week, I'm kind of, as I explained it to Chris Carpenter uh, just yesterday, I said, I'm kind of kind of taking N.T. right by the hand and letting, letting him guide me in there and through that us, um, through the book of Galatians. So uh, commentaries are expensive. They're kind of big. You're probably going to have to lay down 40, 50 bucks um, to, to get a copy of that book. But if you're wanting to kind of really nerd out and go with us, uh, uh, take a deep dive. Uh, that would be the first book I would recommend. A second book is uh, another commentary also called Galatians. It's written by Craig Keener. Craig Keener is a bit more of a technical writer uh, than N.T. Wright, so it's just, a, it's just a little bit more difficult to follow, um, but it is still accessible. If you're determined and you want to really work your way even deeper through the text, then Craig Keener takes a deep dive, um, and he and N.T. Wright 
are pretty much in lockstep on on um, things as well. And so those two as companions work uh, really good. If you wanted to read through even a second commentary, again, you're going to have to plop down another 40, 50 bucks to get that book. Um, but if you're wanting to dive deep now, um, as sort of an introduction to Galatians, if you're looking for a book that's a bit more accessible than like a commentary for nerds, um, then I would recommend a book called Surprised by Hope. Uh, that's also by N.T. Wright. Surprised by Hope, N.T. Wright will give you the foundation that uh, we're really addressing these first couple of weeks, but uh, the foundation that is sort of the launching point for our study of Galatians. So look, I know that's a bunch of stuff. There's obviously no pressure or obligation to read any of these things, but I've had enough people ask for more that I figured, hey, it's a podcast. We've got plenty of time. Um, let me offer you some more. If you have any questions about uh, further resources, hit me up. Thanks, guys. Well, hey, everybody. I am here with my friend and our guest today, Jared Sutton. Hey, Jared, thanks for joining us. Hey, buddy, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing well, actually. Um, it is. Uh, we've known each other for a little bit now, but not not like a really long time. I remember yeah. Yeah. when you first started showing up at the vineyard, and we had a few conversations. And um, you were so gracious to uh, offer your time with well, someone who had questions. <laughs> well, I, yeah, sure, but man, I. I love it when people ask questions and I, you were asking really thoughtful questions and I was like, yeah, we're going to sit down and talk with this guy. And I went, I went home and told my wife, I said, oh, I like him. And I was like, we're going to be friends. I was like, I'm, I'm not sure if, uh, if he's on board for that, but I'm going to, I'm going to make my move. We're going to be friends, oh. this guy. <laughs> Get into those DMs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I, I, yeah, I'm so glad that uh, I don't have DMs, no social go. media for me. Um, but yeah, no, I did not slide into your DMs, but I did, <laughs> I did kind of, you chased me and then I chased you, man. So I, I appreciate, um, you, you taking some time to, to come and talk Absolutely. with us and I appreciate you bringing your podcast voice. Um, yes. Yeah. Your most masculine self. <laughs> yeah. So, Cause usually it does not sound like this. Yeah. No. Tell us what's going on. Uh, yeah. So no COVID, uh, no strep, nothing like that. Uh, yeah. you just wake up Monday, you know. I guess devil was trying to take away the voice, so uh-huh. we're not there yet. We're going to make it through this. Yeah, and, instead uh, like it backfired, said, right? Yeah, because exactly. Now you're all now it's the dulcet tones and the... exactly. <laughs> that's yes. good. So hello, vineyard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, so give us. I mean, uh, like we've we've had many of conversations, but like we've never talked about it before. Sure. Um, tell us, just you know, just a, a quick intro, man. Like. Your family, your career, some, you know, some, just give us a quick bio. And then, then after that, we'll, we'll dig in to your story and, and yeah, get sure, some of your absolutely. background. So, uh, Jared Sutton, born and raised here in Tennessee. Yep. Uh, not a transplant from anywhere. Uh, born in Newport. So, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of history there in that place. I know you and I have talked about that. It's a strange place, man. Yes, it is. Yep. God bless it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, my wife, Taryn, and I uh, have been here in Maryville for probably around seven years now, going on eight. Mm-hmm. Three beautiful boys. Mm-hmm. We're done. <laughs> Three beautiful <laughs> blessings. We're done. Yeah. Um, Their ages? Uh, six, four, and just turned a year old. Well done. So, And hats off to all the volunteers that care for them here. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Because they can be a handful. Uh-huh. Um, so, again, been here around seven, eight years. Uh, with the kids, had them. Uh, career uh, mm-hmm. started off well over 10 years now uh, in x-ray. I was an x-ray tech for several years mm-hmm. and then made the leap into radiation therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for those of you that don't know, um, for anyone who's diagnosed with cancer and dealing with a diagnosis, I am on the treatment end of that. Yeah. And generally, most people look at me with that, oh, uh-huh. No yeah, one's happy to that. see you. <laughs> um, yeah. So again, you know, my, my job is to be with someone probably in one of the worst places mm-hmm. uh, in their life and to try to kind of guide them through that. Maybe put a little humor into it mm-hmm. and uh, just see them through it. And it's, uh, it's rewarding. It really is. You know, what's funny is that the, what I know about you, I know that you are uniquely equipped and wired up to be that guy, <laughs> but 
10 years ago when you started down that path, I don't think mm-hmm. you were or knew that you would become the type of guy who could have a conversation like that. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it's very true. Yeah. Very true. I enjoy conversation, but it's one of those things where, especially in this field, you're, you're being let in on something bigger, mm-hmm. you know, and you kind of have to put all those walls down mm-hmm. and just be really vulnerable with people Yeah, sometimes. Um, you know, it's great to have people to lean on for strength, but I think uh, common ground is found in the vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And if you have a shared experience similar to what these people are going through, they really latch on to that. Sure. So that's, and, and you do have some shared experience, so we'll, we'll oh, make absolutely. that our segue. Sure, why, don't, yeah. why don't you go back, um, mm-hmm. tell us you know, how you grew up what you know yep. your experience was as a as a kid growing up and then and then move on through some of the the big parts of your story you know where i'm driving i know where yeah, where, yeah. i know where the ship's being steered um <laughs> so again had a great childhood mm-hmm. uh fantastic um loved mom and dad very much did everything to provide mm-hmm. but parents also taught me the value of hard work mm-hmm. um very active in our church growing up even though I didn't understand the full mm-hmm. minutia sure. of what's going on. You know, most kids, it's like, okay, I got it. And then you just run with it. Yeah. I mean, you're not a theologian, but you've got like no. good experience with church, with family. Absolutely. Jesus is a huge part of that. So mm-hmm. you're like, you're getting a foundation laid that makes you lean toward the mm-hmm. Lord and move, move toward him in ways that aren't based on fear or, right. but, but based on like good, warm positive things. So that's, exactly. that's actually a big deal. Yes. Because a lot of people have a church experience and you go, mm-hmm. oh, you're a church kid, but it's not like that. It's yeah. not. The, it's, it leaves you running away and not leaning toward. So, so Which that's is true. Super very, very true. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there were, there were joyous times, you know, but then our church split. Mm-hmm. And then that's when the new folks come in, some of the older folks stay who are very set in their ways. Mm-hmm. Um, the Bible is what it says it is. There is no poetic nature of the Bible. Everything is hyper literal. Mm-hmm. And if you have questions, be quiet, sit down. Don't, don't, just don't. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just, I just want to jump in real quick. You know, we, uh, we're a church with a, we have a really high view of scripture. Like it, it is the inspired word of God. It's the final authority on all matters, but it's not the highest view of scripture to deny the allegorical bits or the, yeah. the symbolic parts or to, den- or to pretend as if all questions have been answered, settled, and not to be discussed. Hmm. What's hard about your, about that part of your story is like, I'm betting people who are just really sincere Bible toting people you know, as a baseline, we're like, yeah, we need to stick to the main and the plane and, and not deviate. And like, there's something really good underneath that, but then Mm. the way it gets expressed ends up shutting people down, ends up shutting down conversation and ends up oddly enough, squelching and limiting the truth of scripture instead of bringing it in and all it's, it's breadth. It does. And it, uh, to me, it becomes stagnant in a way in doing that. And that's kind of, the latter part of my church years, mm-hmm. uh, attending, yeah. I just, you know, I had questions and was not met with great enthusiasm mm-hmm. as to having them answered. Uh huh. Yeah, so, that's right. Um, but again, great childhood, very thankful for my bringing upbringing mm-hmm. background in the church and grateful for the hardships. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that can be hard to swallow, mm-hmm. but uh, every hardship is a, a blessing in disguise. I know people say, you know, for every cloud, there is a silver lining. Yep. And there's, there's a bit of truth in that. Yep. And so, yeah. When people are really hurting, sometimes they hear that statement and they want to punch you in the face for saying it. And then, oh, yeah. <laughs> and then eventually you go, darn it. That's, that was true. Mm-hmm. That yep. was true. Yeah. Um, moving on. So I guess we could talk about, uh, the folks. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, when I was 14, my mother was diagnosed stage four renal cell cancer. Um, no signs or symptoms whatsoever, which is the scary bit. Really? So from zero to four, essentially, yes. as far as your perception. And which perception. is not uncommon because really? I see this yeah. a lot too. In some cases it is, but there are cases where people have no idea. Yeah. Um, the only thing that kind of cued her in 
uh, was a little bit of blood in her urine. Mm -hmm. And she was like, it's kind of weird. So she went to the family doctor. And then from there, we ended up seeing a urology specialist mm -hmm. in oncology. And stage four, she said, okay, what, what's the game? Mom, mm -hmm. mom was the type of person that's like, okay, this is the deal. We got a game plan. Yeah. What's the end goal? Yeah. And let's go. that day on the dot in the office, he said, uh, resign from work. Mm. Get your affairs in order. No way. And, you know, uh, God bless. That was the last thing he said. So, so no hope was given, nope. basically. Oh Which was, and my dad's in the room as well. Yeah. And my dad just, in very John Wayne fashion, because <laughs> that's, that's who he was. Yeah. Uh, you know, stands up. This is an outrage. Are you saying for her to just go home and plan her funeral? And mm -hmm. the doctor in that, at that point laughed and said, well, I guess we all should, shouldn't we? Mm. Wow. So then by the grace of God, and I truly believe this, mm. that door to that physician's office was not closed all the way. There was a gap in that door. Okay. And there just so happened to be another physician down the hall who heard what just transpired. Mm -hmm. And he said, listen, um, that may not have been what you wanted to hear, mm -hmm. but Vanderbilt is doing clinical trials for your specific cancer. Mm -hmm. Should I make a phone call? And from there, my mother lived almost nine years wow. out from that stage four, no more. That's it. Wow. Um, but yeah, right at that's nine incredible. years. Yeah. After that. But that is not what ultimately um, took my mother. Really? And I can open that up mm -hmm. <clears throat> a little bit more. So fast forward, I'm in college now, uh, finishing up my degree in x-ray. And my dad, factory worker his whole life, mm -hmm. blue collar. Yeah. You get up at four o'clock, boots hit the ground, you're off providing for your family. Yeah. Well, my mom noticed that he was starting to slow down a whole lot mm -hmm. and his, his morning ritual was get ready for work and he would head to Hardee's and he would have quick breakfast before he went out on the factory floor sure. and it came to the point where he couldn't swallow any food. Mm -hmm. Sure enough, we get it tested. He is stage three esophageal cancer. Um, he did not fare so well. Uh, the surgery was terrible. Did not know that he was going to wake up from surgery. Uh, his internal structures were not waking up from anesthesia. So at that point, we thought we had lost him. But mm -hmm. miraculously, mm -hmm. he was brought back. And my father then lived, I want to say, close to a year. Mm -hmm. Not fully a year, but close to a year. Um, and that put you at what age? So then I was 21. Okay. Yeah, right. Just had turned 21 and was applying to radiation therapy school to mm -hmm. finish this out, um, doing what I do today. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, my dad, I had been home for a few weeks on break between work and school because I worked as an x-ray tech for a bit mm -hmm. while I was in school. Mm -hmm. And uh, one day I just came home and my dad was there and I could not get him to wake up. Mm. Sure enough, he was breathing, but he was not cohesive at mm -hmm. all. Um, coherent, excuse me. Um, that led us going to another hospital visit. Turns out he was stage four, mm. uh, all in his brain, everywhere. Oh, no. Yeah. So... From that point, they did surgery to debulk what they could in his brain to relieve pressure. Um, the neurosurgeon was fantastic. Mm -hmm. Very godly man um, who I actually still work with today. Really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, but he is the first physician, and this made such an impact on me, um, and, it's, and it stays with me to this day, that when he delivered the news that my father is never going to recover. Mm -hmm. He is eventually going to pass after the surgery. He stayed in the room with my mother and I, and this man wept mm. for an hour. Wow. In my, remarkable. 
in my 12 years of being in a hospital setting, I have never seen a physician mm -hmm. take that much consideration for the family mm -hmm. and what's about to transpire, what's yeah. about to happen. Yeah. And nine weeks later, my father passed. Mm. And then I went to therapy school the following week. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so. And you were, okay, so you were in your early 20s then. Yeah. And your mom at this point is ill as well. Yes. Now you said something other than the cancer? Yes. What, what was that? So my father, although he would never admit it, mm -hmm. was quite the romantic. There were plenty of stories shared when they were dating uh -huh. and when they were first married. And I was like, wow, mm -hmm. you know, this, I, this is what the definition of marital love yeah. is right here. This is astonishing. Yeah. <laughs> and I know that when there was, before my father passed, probably about a week or so, you know, my mother, there was a turn, you know, my mother became very angry with me and mm -hmm. bitter with me, which at the time I didn't understand. Mm -hmm. I've meditated on this for the last 11 years. I think I kind of have a better grasp on why. Yeah. But I believe what truly took my mother was a broken heart. Mm because the person that she had made all of her memories with yeah. good, bad, indifferent, and just being there, yeah. that person was gone now. Mm -hmm. And less than 10 months after my dad passed, she passed. Yeah. Wow. So, and this is after eight years of hanging on Yes. with a stage four Mm -hmm. that was held at bay largely. Now, was she suffering for much of those eight years or was it? So uh, she had the, the problem kidney uh, uh -huh. removed, did okay. great with the surgery. Uh, she had been battling some liver metastases, mm -hmm. but the chemo regimen she was on actually kept those at bay mm -hmm. and they actually ended up shrinking to the point of nothing. Wow. Um, but on my birthday, of 2012, she was like, I can't walk. Mm. And I'm separated from her by about a hundred miles. And I was like, mm -hmm. all right, do I need to get in the car? What's right. happening? You sure. know? So from there, a friend of ours was gracious enough to go pick her up. And sure enough, she had spread to her hip mm -hmm. and she had spread into her pelvic area. Mm. So from there, yes, it can be manageable, but mm -hmm. I think there was a point where my mother, and I will never forget this, mm. by her hospital bed before she left, she said, my new body is coming. Hmm. Jesus Christ, my new body is coming. Wow. <laughs> and that has stuck with me clearly. Absolutely. So, yeah. um, there you go. Yeah, I mean, we do not suffer as those who are without hope. And I honestly, I just don't know how people do it. I don't know no. how people can stare that down the specter of death and 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 keep their feet underneath them or cope on any level without an assurance of a new body coming and an eternal life mm -hmm. awaiting. I, I man, it's it's remarkable that people manage at all. So okay, so you were twenty three when that twenty two. Yeah, you were twenty twenty two. Two. Mm -hmm. So at twenty two, both of your parents have passed mm -hmm. after. Not uh, there's no such thing as a perfect childhood, but a pretty uh, idyllic. Like things were, yeah, things were beautiful and right and good. Mm -hmm. um, and then within the space of a few months, they're both gone. Mm -hmm. So, where did that leave you, man? What what happened next in in your world? Okay, here's the dark part of the story. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if that wasn't dark enough. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, so at that point, again, as I mentioned before, we were very active in church, mm -hmm. and what I thought was a very tight knit church family. Um, in my lowest moments, the people that I grew up with and looked up to and eventually wanted, aspired to be like, mm -hmm. honestly, I was in, which was my home now, you yeah. know, my home because nobody else is there. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. I was sitting in my home, and I had several members of the church. So I, we left by. a detail out. Siblings? Oh, sure. What's that? Did you have siblings growing up? No, just okay. me. So just me. Uh, um, yeah. Sitting in the home, and I get a knock at the door, mm-hmm. and it's several people from the church, and which initially it was this is wonderful. Right. My my tribe is here. My uh-huh. people are here. So I welcome them in, uh, coffee, tea, and we're sitting around the living room. And I'm putting on a game face for everybody mm-hmm. because one of the things my father always said when I was younger, and I've kind of broken this down a little bit, but it's like never let him see you sweat. Uh-huh. So <laughs> I'm sitting in the living room trying to do as best as I can to make a face. Right. And the comments, and I'm sure anybody listening has heard if they've been through this before, is they're in a better place. Uh-huh. They're no longer suffering. Mm-hmm. Yes, all true. Mm-hmm. All true. And then I had someone tell me in this time, you know, they can't see you, right? Huh. And I remember drinking my tea at that point and thinking, what? Hmm. What does that mean? Yeah. So inquiring minds want to know. I said, what do you mean by that? And this gentleman tells me, he said, well, Jared, I'll put it to you this way. If your parents saw you in your suffering that you're going through right now, do you not think that they would rip the veil of heaven wide open to come down here and spare you this pain? Huh. And we ended right there and was like, okay. Yeah. I'm not sure that I completely buy that yeah. <laughs> or understand it, but I'll go along with it. Okay. Um, so then the conversation shifts into what are you going to do now? You know, what does your future look like now? Right. So I tell them, well, you know, Hey, I've got maybe this job lined up in Johnson mm-hmm. city, you know, hopefully it works out. You know, I'll probably have to split time between there and here. Mm-hmm. Um, keep the house up. You know, I'm not really sure what I want to do with it right now. Mm-hmm. Being at 22, uh-huh. I don't think many people would know what to do. Uh-huh. And then one of the things that I'll never forget is one of the men from the church, as we're walking outside and ending this conversation, he goes, how much land is here with this home? So we walk out and I'm like, well, you know, this is up here and this is back here. You know, it mm-hmm. sits on, you know, five good acres. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if you ever want to get rid of this, you just, you can give me a call. Huh. Followed with one of the women who was sitting in this room with me. Your mom had a lot of jewelry, didn't she? Oh, come on now. I said, well, you know, mom enjoyed, you know, necklaces and bracelets and stuff. How much jewelry does she have? I don't know. I can't. I'm account a 22-year-old kid in the fog of grief. Why well, I'll tell you what. If you want me to come over one day and look through them, I'll get rid of some of that and take that off your hands. Wow. Subtle. And it was in that moment, mm-hmm. and this was my, my grievous error. Mm. It was in that moment after they left, and I closed the door. And internally, I said, if this is what Christianity yeah. is about then I want none of it. Mm -hmm. And after they left that day, I wanted absolutely nothing to do with Jesus. Mm -hmm. I wanted nothing to do with God. And I wanted nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Uh, You could not put me in a church. Mm. Because you experienced people who under the guise of concern for you, (laughs) pretending to love and care for you were actually Yes. Looking, I mean, under those circumstances, I don't feel like it's a stretch to say essentially looking for an opportunity to extort someone in their grief and take advantage. Right. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's okay. Yeah. It's and okay. It, you, you, and you said, hey, that, that was the wrong decision. Wish I hadn't made that call. Mm, yes. Totally get what you'd make that call. <laughs> totally get it. We wouldn't be having this conversation now, would we? Yeah. That's right. <laughs> um, but I'm glad that I have, I call it my, I, most, I know deconstruction is a buzzword. Yeah. It it's is. a buzzword. Um, I don't like to think of it like that. I actually like to think of it as a reconstruction. Yeah. Um, 
So I try to stray away from that word as much as possible. Mm -hmm. I feel like I had my awakening and then I had my reconstruction. Mm -hmm. And in that journey of reconstruction, it ultimately led me here to mm -hmm. Vineyard. Yeah. So. so tell us a little bit about that journey. So there was a, there was a dark season there when mm -hmm. you were away from the Lord and not wanting anything to do with it. Mm -hmm. What was the next stage in that process? Or do you, how much of it do you even remember? The next stage in that process... I was, <laughs> I'm a writer, mm -hmm. and I say that in the most basic terms. I'm not one of those people, I'm a writer, so <laughs> therefore right. I write. Uh -huh. um, but I had written a little short film, mm -hmm. and I had contracted some people out to come help to run camera and actors and all these things. And my wife and I had started going to, because she asked, she was like, what do you think about us going to a church? Mm -hmm. And this was shortly after my eldest son was born. He was maybe about a year old. And I was like, yeah, mm -hmm. okay. Mm -hmm. we, can, we, can, we can start down this path again. Yeah. But it wasn't until about 2017 mm -hmm. when I met the gentleman who would be my cameraman. Mm -hmm. We started talking about faith and spirituality and i'm like all right here we go uh-huh so to spare him a lot of the detail i just said you know this is kind of where i stand mm -hmm. and then he shared with me his story so what what, it, what was kind of where you stood? i'm curious at this mm -hmm. point would you say no i'm an atheist or i'm agnostic mm -hmm. or i'm i'm spiritually disinterested or i'm a believer but i don't want to participate i mean what, i'm one of those have you ever heard the term fit? you're a yeah yeah guy yeah yeah so what I mean by that is yeah, like, it's yeah. like, you believe in Jesus? Yeah, 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 uh -huh. yeah. And then that's where the conversation stops. Oh, gotcha. Um, yeah. Do you believe in God? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, that's kind of where I was. So if you want to say agnostic, um, sure, we could, we could go with that. Not an atheist. I wouldn't say that I was a fully mm -hmm. professed atheist. Mm -hmm. um, but he started sharing his story with me about his father who one day when he was, I think maybe when my cameraman was about nine years old, his dad got up every morning and rode his bike to work hmm. and got hit by a car oh, come on. and suffered a traumatic brain injury. And now his dad has the mental capacity of like a 12 year old. Hmm. And I think that was like the first, I want to say it was the first God wink that I had because he was like, oh, here's somebody that shares in suffering. Yeah. And that's when that opened up this door with me. And then he told me his struggle uh -huh. with the church and whatnot, and that they ended up moving to a different church. Mm -hmm. And that he said, I have profoundly beheld Jesus. Hmm. And when he said those words, I was like, profoundly beheld Yeah, that's a pretty Jesus. evocative thing to say. Yeah. So I was like, what do you mean by that? Uh -huh. And he says, well, you like thinking about deep things. And I said, yeah. He said, have you ever heard of a guy named Thomas Merton? Huh. That was my introduction to Thomas Merton yeah. and contemplative mm -hmm. side of, uh, of the Christian faith. And that opened up a whole other door, which we're kind of going back now full circle mm -hmm. to the questions I had in the church that you couldn't really ask, mm. but I was seeing it in a mutual friend that I've made and was like, yeah, I may pick up that Bible again to yeah. see what this, to huh. see what it really says. Interesting. And I just want to point out, I mean, I know it was right there in the story, but it's just worth taking a second to acknowledge that that started not because you were talking to a pastor priest, not because you sought out spiritual help, but because your cameraman was willing to be honest and vulnerable. And that's another buzzword, I know, but it's also really powerful. Yeah. Um, he was willing to be vulnerable and share honestly about his, his story, good, bad, and ugly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just that led, that was key to you seeing a major shift. Yeah. Yeah. And the story that uh, I had written uh, to, to film mm -hmm. was about a couple suffering uh, through a, Alzheimer's and dementia mm. season in their life. Yeah. And I felt like the, the connection that he and I had made the film, not saying that it's good by any measure, but it made it that much more cohesive. 
Sure. And even the actors on set said, you know, hey, we can feel this. And I was like, that's that's awesome. Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah. So, but out of that has kind of put me on this path. Yeah. So tell us more about that path. From there, you're, you know, you'd, you'd sort of been into a church a little bit and then, but it sounds, you know, maybe still in the yeah, yeah mode, even mm-hmm. though you were showing up. Mm-hmm. And then this was when you started to lean in, lean into more contemplative spirituality or mm-hmm. was, or am I skipping steps in the story? No, you're, you're, you're pretty on par Yeah, with that. Um, so we attended a, a church here in Maryville, mm-hmm. um, right around, uh, election cycle. And we all know how hot yeah, that can get church gets weird around elections it can anyway <laughs> and uh there were many sermons that were um politically motivated mm-hmm. and it was the first time i wouldn't say the first time but one of the times that i really felt that the spirit was tugging at my heart mm-hmm. and trying to shift my gaze mm-hmm and saying that maybe this is not where your family needs to mm. be made, yeah. I guess, in this space. And when So you were bothered by the politically motivated stuff? Is that, or was it just, or was it more generic than that? This, this doesn't no, 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 right. it was, uh, it was uh, one of the big things was the political motivation. Yeah. Um, and I think, and, and we've had this conversation before, mm-hmm. Anytime that you use scripture as a political motivator mm-hmm. um, to sell your point mm-hmm. is antithetical to what the Bible is for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there was a lot of that. And, you know, I remember many car rides home, uh, my wife asking me, is this what it's about? Like, mm. is this? And I'm like, no, this yeah. is by no means or measure what it's about. Yeah. Um, but it was during that season that I found Vineyard. Mm. And Spirit must know that I love podcasts because I am a <laughs> podcast junkie, man. Yeah. Um, Vineyard always came up as a recommended listen on my feed. Huh. I was like, and again, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> so then <laughs> I would listen church. to something else. One of a million. Mm-hmm. And I kid you not, Every time I opened my podcast app on my phone, Vineyard Sermons, first thing that came up, first thing that come up. So I don't understand uh, algorithms or SEO, Mm -hmm. but just so you know, we put absolutely zero effort in trying to make sure... We populate and show up on the right person's yeah, phone, yeah, yeah. like, and who knows what who knows what the bots are doing in the background. <laughs> but that that strikes me as quite possibly not just coincidental because I, I just I, I I don't know why it would, you know, I, you know, because again, that's not something we've put any effort into making happen. So so that seems cool. But it was through there that uh, I started listening to your sermons. Mm-hmm. And I was just, you know, in my car and some of my quiet time at home, I was like, I've really never heard the gospel or teachings preached in this way, one that is relevant to the culture and day that we find ourselves in, Mm -hmm. and two, about deepening your experience and your relationship with Christ, with the Spirit, and with the Father. Mm And, you know, I never left. <laughs> uh-huh. So, um, yeah. still here. So. Yeah. And so what's been going on in those last couple of years? You know, I mean, there's a, a lot. I don't actually, I say a couple of years as if I have any sense of how long it's been. I don't. But, you know, I remember uh, one, of, one of the joys of, of, of baptizing you not that long ago. Yeah, just been close to a year now. And then um, you just seem like in your pursuit of the Lord, you have just you've covered a lot of ground <laughs> in the last couple of years. And p- part of that's features of your personality, you know? Mm. Um, but part of that's a genuine, a genuine hunger. And you, I, you know, you seem like someone who's really walking with Jesus, uh, which we've at least tried to make buzzwords around mm. here. Um, and you've taken it, taken it really to heart. So mm. tell me a little bit about what that journey's looked like. And then, and then we'll get into maybe some practical stuff just to sure. what's been the most helpful to you in that journey. <laughs> Growing up, 
prayer was never a thing I considered one that I was good at or two made a whole lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, felt like it was more like a checklist item. You know, mm-hmm. I have to do this because God really wants to hear what I have to say. <laughs> <clears throat> but in this journey, prayer, I, and you know this as well as many people around the church that know me, I love conversing mm-hmm. and I love talking. And when I got out of the headspace so much as like, I have to do this, it's like the creator of everything, Mm -hmm. of everything. And that's what astonishes me every time I go to pray is I think on that just for a few seconds, Mm -hmm. the person, the thing, Mm -hmm. the being that created all Mm -hmm. really wants a relationship with me, Mm -hmm. fallible, Uh um, tangible, physical, wants Mm -hmm. a relationship with me. And then prayer, like a light switch went off, became an experience Mm. to sit and behold God, again, to use that word that my friend Mm -hmm. did. I remember the first time I opened myself to prayer in that way, and I said, God, here's what's on my heart. Mm -hmm. And then I sat in silence. There we go. And then that's when you really hear God. So how speak. did you know to sit in silence? Is this because you were reading some Thomas Merton stuff or? Merton was one, but I tell you, and the shared person that we have talked about before is uh, John Mark Comer. Uh-huh. Um, that's right. And the book, and I remember sharing it with you, mm-hmm. is The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, mm-hmm. which is a fantastic book on, to me, it, it dealt with a lot of the monastic rhythms mm-hmm. uh, of the early church mm-hmm. um, and adopting that practice of silence and solitude and in contemplation before God. Mm-hmm. That's when I was, because before I was like, I'm never, okay, I've got to tell everything that I want God to do for me, which was uh-huh. totally the wrong <laughs> way to think. You know? yeah. God's not a genie. Uh-huh. Um, and then go about my day. Mm-hmm. But when you're conversing with someone, it's not just about you telling this person everything that you want to tell them. Mm-hmm. You actually need to lean in and listen to what that other person has to say. Yeah. So the first time I did it, I actually heard yeah. <laughs> something. And man, it scared me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was terrifying. Hmm. And I can remember almost having a panic attack. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So say more about that. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, if I could just hear from God, I really wish I could. Then, then you did and you... Yeah, so <laughs> you the thing it's like attack. I heard and was like, I don't know what is to do. Is it because you had absolutely no expectation that you would hear from him or is it because... Of- exactly. Okay. It, was, it was exactly that. <laughs> because in my head, I was like, I'm going to try this. Mm-hmm. I really don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then God showed up. Mm-hmm. And that again, was terrifying in a sense to me. And it made me think of like being Isaiah or uh-huh. a, a, yeah, in the uh, presence of God uh-huh. in the throne room. It's like, I'm not worthy. Oh, yeah. what? Oh, why am I here? Yeah. I had that kind of a moment. Well, you had started your prayer with getting a sense of scope about mm-hmm. who he is and who you are into relation, in relation to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to hear from him sounds like death. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. But... It was during that panic attack that I heard be still, Mm. clear as day. Mm. And it was over. Mm. It was over. And I was in an unoccupied office space at work that's very rarely used. Okay. So very shut off from anybody or anywhere. Mm -hmm. That's kind of my lonely place that I go to. Good that you have one. Um, I don't have it anymore. That's been filled now. (laughs) So it's okay. (laughs) But uh, that was the first experience. Mm -hmm. And since that time, audibly, I have heard God speak and and experience twice more. Wow. And it has been, again, not in my dizziest daydreams that I ever think that that would be a thing. Right. That it would happen. But it has. Mm Mm-hmm. And thank God for it. Yeah, it changes you, right? Yes. It changes the way you move out yes. into the world, the way you think about everything. And everyone. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. And everyone, yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, just from my vantage point, I've seen you uh, just, gr- seems like just growing uh, leaps and bounds. 
and a genuine hunger for the Lord. It reminds me, you're one of the people I have in my mind um, when I say one of my common things, which is uh, you've got Jesus right where you want him. If you mm-hmm. want him way out on the fringe in the, the yah-yah category, mm-hmm. uh, then that's where you have him. If you want to walk with him every single day, then that's where you've got him. If you've got him on, you know, in, invading some parts of your life but still excluded mm-hmm. from others, that's where you got him. And um, it seems so clear to me that you were one of those people who, who you wanted him at the center of your life. Yes. And you went and you just sort of went after it. And every time I talk to you, you seem like you had a different, a different encounter with the Lord, a different prayer practice with the Lord, mm-hmm. a, different, a different thing you were reading or studying or podcasting or learning mm-hmm. with the Lord, and which demonstrates another one of those things that I've, I say a lot and maybe even too much, which is the, the, the pursuit of Jesus or trying to find Jesus or get close to Jesus is it really is, it's just intuitive. Um, if you're hungry and you want to find him and you're looking for him, then what you do intuitively will work. You know, yes. like however it is that you, if, if done with sincerity, the Lord says a sincere contrite spirit, I will not turn away. So if we, in whatever way we know best, whether it's a really great biblical list or just some ideas we threw together, in whatever way we know best, we chase after the Lord, we're going to find him because Amen. he's not yeah. hiding from us. No. So, and I, I was always encouraged and have been many times when we talk because, you know, sometimes I'll just reach out and say, you know, hey, what are you into? Because I know you're going to tell me about the last book you read or the podcast you found or mm-hmm. the app that helped you um, develop some spiritual practices yeah. that, and yeah. rhythms and things like that. Mm-hmm. So um, why, why don't you tell me a little bit about, uh, and if I'm skipping parts of the story, then, then just jump no, no, in no, no, and, no and change, it, change it. But um, t- tell me about some of the things that have been most helpful to you that have stood out. Like, like I, this has been really helpful as somebody who's starting from Yaya. <laughs> yeah. And, and wanting to really walk with Jesus every day. So I think, again, um, <clears throat> most people say, you know, you might as well just go ahead and get both feet wet. Just jump in. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there is a kernel of truth with that because when you, when you dive in that well, mm-hmm. it can be overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, with the contemplative side of things, when I started off, I was like, I have no idea where to begin with this. Mm-hmm in pieces, in segments. One of the very first apps that I downloaded, which again, a technology is a wonderful tool. You Mm -hmm. know, if we're using it as a crutch or as an idol, yeah, we got problems. Sure. Um, Lectio 365 is a wonderful application. And in and through that, and again, reading back and looking on, uh, and we'll drop some uh, St. Ignatius, St. Francis, um, mm-hmm. and Thomas Merton, mm-hmm. um, Henry Nouwen, people that I have read and admire, um, read scripture in a different way than I ever read it. Mm-hmm. In such a way that when I would read it, I was very analytical. Okay, let's think about this. The right. setting is 300 BC or mm-hmm. the setting is AD 10. But they read the scriptures prayerfully. And that took some u- getting used to. But mm-hmm. right now, that's how I read scripture. Mm-hmm. We slow things down. We take some time, we pray over the scripture and we pray for our mind to be open as we read. And in Lectio, as you know this, you read very slowly mm-hmm. and soak in every aspect. It's very hard for people to do sometimes. In the world we live in today. Yes. yes. It's, you know, go, yeah. go, go. We got to get this done. I did my Bible thing check. We're good uh-huh. to go. That's right. Um, but it, this, <clears throat> that's one of the beautiful things of the, these practices that I have learned Mm-hmm. by the grace of God mm-hmm. is to walk at God speed. Mm-hmm. And I watched this wonderful documentary by the same name. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if you ever look in scripture, God never does anything fast. Mm-hmm. God does everything in his own time. Mm-hmm. And one of the people in this documentary, the name escapes me right now, but he said, you know, God's speed is like three miles an hour when you're walking with someone. Mm-hmm. He's never running. He's walking. And that made me look at my daily rhythms of my life and think, how often am I running instead of walking? Yeah, that's right. 
when I'm talking when I should be listening. Mm -hmm. mm. And that's... So I just want to hit pause right here. <laughs> I just want... I, I'm afraid people listening might just run right past that. <laughs> Can you just take a second and stop running? <laughs> if you're actually running right now as you listen to a podcast, by all means, keep your pace. But, you know, it is so fundamentally important that we are willing to slow down and walk with... The reason why the vision of our church is walk with Jesus, love your neighbor, mm -hmm. is because there aren't examples of running with Jesus. <laughs> we walk with Jesus. I have a friend who calls himself the three-mile-an-hour pastor because he walks every town in his neighborhood. He prayer walks every town hey, in his entire go. city. Mm -hmm. And he's got, he does it on a sequence. It's like so many miles, I don't know. Um, but the Lord, of course, has done remarkable things in that because... Yeah. He's saying, he's an acknowledgement. I have to slow down, period. You mentioned earlier the, the John Mark Comer book, The Ruthless Elimination of, mm. of Hurry, um, which is a quote from Dallas Willard, actually. Mm -hmm. um, and um, at some point, at some point when we're, you know, we occasionally force feed books to people in the church and, <laughs> and I try to twist their arms and get them to read one, no doubt that, that book's coming at some point. There you go. Um, but I, I don't know, man. I just didn't want us to run past it too quickly. You, when you describe how you move forward with Jesus, fundamental, to really everything you've said so far is, I had to make myself slow down and be yes. still and recognize that if I'm off checking boxes and sprinting from one thing to the next, I'm just going to miss the voice of the Lord. Yes. Yeah. It's so easy to get wrapped up in the things of your day that you forget to listen. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which was hard for me at first. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, slowing down was one of the biggest things and mm -hmm. honestly one of the most helpful mm -hmm. um when you come before the lord in prayer and you ask for patience and you ask for this slowing you will get it i know because i did it's mm -hmm. something you have to work at mm -hmm. but you will get it and it mm -hmm. reminds me of so many times in scripture of jesus sharing meals with one another and these other people. I truly don't feel that was a rushed event to sit and have those mm -hmm. conversations with these people about who he is and what he stands for. Right. It was never hurried. Mm -hmm. So why should my life be hurried? Mm -hmm. And I also just want to add, you have three children and a career and a wife with a career. Yes. And also school on top of it, mm -hmm. or, or at least she has been. So, still in, yes. Still you in. know all about frantic schedules and calendars <laughs> that are overfilled, and you had to say no to something to even have the time to sit here and talk with me. So, um, because when you say slow down and take your time, I've got a million excuses populating in my mind, and so does anybody who thinks, all right, maybe I'll give it a shot. Mm -hmm. Immediately go, well, that's not pe feasible because, mm -hmm. bah, 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 or I'll do that you know, when I'm an empty nester or maybe when I retire <laughs> and I'm talking to someone in their thirties with three children, uh, a, a career that's, that's full speed ahead, mm -hmm. um, a very full life. And, and yet you have time because you make time. Is yeah. that fair to say? You prioritize the things that are most important. Uh huh. And my walk with Christ is priority one oh, man. because without Christ, I can do nothing. Mm -hmm. It's the best thing you can do for your wife. It's the best thing you can do for those three boys. Amen. It's the best thing you can do for your patients who are grieving and suffering. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, um, I'm, I'm shift gears here a little bit just mm. on that pivot point. Cause, uh, I'm, I'm curious, you, you've known your share of grief and then some mm -hmm. of suffering and loss. Mm. You work with people who are experiencing or you work in service to people who are experiencing grief and suffering and loss and, and, and at a, uh, at a, at a climactic point even, mm -hmm. um, that's sort of a, a rhythm or a regular reality for you. Um, what, what have you been learning about grief, about how that connects to spiritual formation and your own growth and your walk with Jesus? Grief is such a great word. <laughs> Not a lot of people um, would start that way. <laughs> no, and you miss the forest for the trees. Mm. You know, I, I lean in with that. In your time of trauma and grief, 
it's so easy to get wrapped up in the self. And there's nothing wrong with that for mm -hmm. the time. But you miss the whole of what's happening to you. And I say this as someone who suffered. I, you meant, I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. the first time I heard God, I had a panic attack. Mm -hmm. Okay. Unmet grief, if it's not dealt with mm -hmm. and you bury it, it will come back to you in some way, in some shape or form. Mm -hmm. And mine came back after my parents' death mm -hmm. as anxiety. Yeah. And panic. And it's through that that I began to grow spiritually when I let Jesus in. Mm -hmm. N.T. Wright has a, a fantastic way of looking at this. Mm. There's hopeless grief mm. and there is hopeful grief. Yeah. The hopeless happens when we focus inwardly on the self and how defeated we are yeah. and our depression. And we continue to sink into this mm -hmm. and we try to find our hope in all these superficial things mm -hmm. to bring us out of it. But we don't deal with our grief. Mm -hmm. We don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. We don't experience it. Mm -hmm. Again, we talk about culture and where we find ourselves in today. We're so busy with go mm -hmm. that if it's uncomfortable for us, we don't want to deal with it. Sure. We are a people of comfort. Well, especially if you're hopeless, if your grief is tied to hopelessness, yes. then the idea of facing it is, is cataclysmic. I mean, it's not, it's not something you can imagine. It's like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to dwell in the hopeless reality of my mm -hmm. life. It's like, well, good luck convincing yourself to do that. Right. But if it's hopeful, mm -hmm. then uh, it's a pathway to mm -hmm. something else, which I was, I cut you off to say, but, but no, it's uh, great. Yeah. yeah. So that's what you've discovered a different, a different kind of, a different kind of grief, the, the healthy grief, mm -hmm. you know, grief in itself is not a bad thing. That's right. Um, because if you, and Wright says it more poetically than I'm going to say it now, but it's like to grieve something means that you loved that thing. Absolutely. And to deny that grief, did you really love it? That's right. So Yeah, Martin Presh will say grief is praise for those we have loved. Uh, and if, if we if we do not um it's not an exact quote, but if we do not grieve what we have lost, we are not celebrating what we love. Mm. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah, it is. But when I looked at grief through that lens, mm -hmm. it really shifted my perspective because in the first several years that I went through this, I pushed it aside. Yeah. You know, again, hearing my dad, you know, we brought it back. Never let anyone see you sweat. That's right. It's like the longer I keep this buried, it will go away. Mm -hmm. It does not go away. Mm -hmm. It just comes up uglier and nastier yeah, it does. that you don't want to deal with it. It's so good. Yeah. And in that moment, when it came back several years out in the form of anxiety and panic, mm -hmm. I was suffering as a hopeless griever. Mm. I was looking everywhere else to try to find the thing that would make me feel better. Um, I ended up doing like programs for anxiety and panic, paid hundreds of dollars. Mm. But until I let Jesus in, and I do not want that to sound cliche, mm -hmm. Because I know some people may hear that and go, well, of course, it's yeah. going to work its way. We'll slap no, 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 a code no. of Jesus on it and that'll fix it. Exactly. No, yeah. When you truly let Jesus in, that hopelessness will turn to hopeful. Mm -hmm. Because I think about <clears throat> in the times that people told me, it's like, well, you know, don't cry <laughs> because your parents are in heaven. Mm-hmm. Don't cry because you know where they are. Mm -hmm. Don't cry because you know that the joy that they're having right now in the face of God, don't cry mm -hmm. and fill in the blank. Yeah. It's horrible advice. If you don't cry, exactly. You can't grieve. People grieve in different ways. But, yeah. you but know, you're I'm, not crying that they're with the Lord. You're crying that they're not with you. And right. That needs to be experienced and felt. It does. Yeah. And the thing that I kept coming back to... Um, as a hopeful griever at this point mm -hmm. 
is the, and it, it, again, it's one of my favorite stories within the Bible is the raising of Lazarus. Mm -hmm. But the thing that happens just before Lazarus is raised, and I think people skim over this. Mm -hmm. We skim over it to get to the miracle because Jesus is the Almighty. Jesus wept. Mm -hmm. Jesus yeah. wept. And I really think the Spirit let me in on that. Mm -hmm. And I stuck with that verse for weeks. Yeah. And again, the creator of everything mm -hmm. weeps. Mm -hmm. And that had a profound effect on me. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, you don't cry because you're a man. And it's like, mm -hmm. no. <laughs> the greatest man who ever lived, yeah. my savior, my brother, my friend, wept. And the fact that it was hopeful grief didn't keep it from exactly. being grievous. You know, right. he was still, and, and in a very clearly dem demonstrated way, when Jesus was weeping there with Mary, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. This John 11, I think. Um, when he's doing that and sitting and weeping with her, he knows he's about to go raise Lazarus from exactly. the dead. He, there's no question. He'd, he'd already hinted to his disciples on the way over, like, <laughs> let's go, let's see something good. Yeah. Um, I'm the resurrection and the life. Something's about to go mm -hmm. down. And, and yet, knowing Lazarus was about to be raised from the dead, he sat with and entered into the grief of others, validated the grief of others. Um, and, and it wasn't because he was so sad that he had never see Lazarus, his friend, again. Hmm. Um, it was because it was wise and good that that grief be felt and entered into and that he demonstrate that she's not going to be alone while she's doing it. Amen. Yes. Yeah. And that has stuck with me. Yeah. And anyone that goes through it, you know, and I, I test those waters just to see where we are in those conversations. One with patience, mm -hmm. but I bring that up and it's almost like a light bulb. Sometimes those who are believers goes off and they're like, wow, I've never considered it in this way. Mm -hmm. Never considered it in this light. You know, it, uh, reminds me of something we were, um, I was just confirming by the way, it is, that is John chapter 11. If people want to spend <laughs> some time meditating on that, um, a couple of stories come to mind, uh, quickly, just while you were talking, I was meeting with someone earlier this week who, uh, she's had a, just an awesome um, experience is radically saved by the Lord, a life completely changed. And she's just been floating, man. She's just been <laughs> floating for months and months now um, because she's just been so beautifully redeemed. And, um, and we've all been celebrating with her, you know, so really exciting. Yeah. Um, and then this last week we talked, we we're like, so how do, what about sadness? Because I still have that. And I'm incredibly happy, more so than ever before. So how do, am I doing something? It was a, such a fair question, and, and I'm, I'm terribly misquoting and summarizing, but am I doing something wrong because I'm beginning to feel sadness at, at points mm. and, and grief at times? And I was able to say, no, that's part of the human condition, and it's a reality of Christ. Like, if, if, you, if you grieve because you don't have enough faith or you're not spiritual enough, then we're going to have to figure out how Jesus didn't have enough faith and wasn't spiritual yeah, enough yeah. because mm -hmm. he was a man of sorrow, familiar with suffering. And that's um, so quickly overlooked. And, and the other thing I was thinking of is just yesterday, we were with our, our staff, and um, Jim Branch came in and did a training with us. It was really good. And Erin uh, Wright, I'm a, she's on the podcast sometimes. I'm about to horribly misquote her, but she was talking about her experience with, with grief and how it has led to greater joy and freedom for her. And she specifically, oh, man, I wish I could get it close. This isn't even close. The way she said it was, it was, it was profound and poetic and beautiful. Mm. But basically, she was saying, um, unexpressed grief puts a cap on your joy. Mm. And, it, and, mm. and at one point, she said, it takes the legs out from under joy itself. Yeah. Um, because it's waiting to come out in other ways. Like you were saying, it's going to come out in other ways. It's you're carrying it with you mm. either way. Um, but when, when she began to express her grief, she, the cap was taken off, and she's begun to experience joy um, in ways that are entirely new for her. Um, and people are terrified to do that. Mm -hmm. I'm terrified to do that. I think almost everybody on, on some level thinks grief is a horrible, horrible experience. We should avoid that, right? Mm -hmm. right. <laughs> we should yeah. avoid that at all costs. 
and it's not true. No. I mean, so many of the beautiful things that Christ have for us are are hidden behind difficult things because of the things that try us and and grow us. You know, trial by fire, all that stuff. Yes. Yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah, beautiful words by her. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, it, it, the way she said it was actually way way better. Um, well, good, man. Um, man, thanks so much for taking some time to share this stuff um, and to share your own story. You know, like it's a difficult story in, in places. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, it was a turnaround for you when someone was willing to share honestly and vulnerably, vulnerably about what they were yes. facing and, and, and the loss they had experienced and the grief mm -hmm. that they knew. Um, and for you to share that with us feels very, very kind. Um, so, very happy to have shared. Yeah, I'm, I'm grateful that you did. So thank you so much, and thanks for sharing um, some of uh, some of the ways that you've you've been you've been experiencing um, growth and and uh, things that have been helpful for you. Uh, what we're gonna do as a note here is. Um, we're going to make a list in the podcast notes mm -hmm. with some of the resources that you've mentioned and then some of the others. Sure. I, I think you probably have several more that we can talk about. More, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Got several more. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so you and I, when we're done here, we'll, we'll type out the list here and make sure that's available so everybody can, uh, sure. um, can experience all those things. Well, in talking about poetry, would it yeah. be a problem if I shared a poem with you? No, that has been, yeah, let's do it. It's been amazing to me. Uh, Malcolm Geith, I'm not sure if you're familiar I'm uh, not. with Malcolm Geith. He is uh, an Anglican, uh, but he's, he, he's also a poet, mm -hmm. a pastor, Englishman. Um, this poem that he wrote several years ago, profound, uh, is called The Christian Plummet. Hmm. I want to take just a minute to share this. So again, let's lean in. I hope this is fruitful for someone. Here we go. The Christian plummet. Down into the icy depths you plunge, the cold, dark undertow of your depression. Even your memories of light made strange as you fall further from all comprehension. You feel as though they've thrown you overboard your fellow Christians on the sunlit deck, a stone cold Jonah on whom scorn is poured, a sacrifice to save them from the wreck. But someone has their hands on your long line. You sound for them the depths they sail above. One who takes Jonah as his only sign sinks lower still to hold you in his love. And though you cannot see or speak or breathe, the everlasting arms are underneath. Yeah, that's incredible, man. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, and then, you know, it just highlights one, one of the things we said, which is that um, grief is an incredible and, and often just beautiful healing thing. You gotta be willing to go there. And as believers, we don't have to go there alone. And that's Amen. part of what it's, you know, maybe it is too scary, uh, but it's not too scary if you're doing it with the king of the universe. Who, exactly. Who he says he's close to the brokenhearted, who sits mm -hmm. with us as we grieve. Um, that light will shine in your darkness, I guarantee it. Amen. Amen. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All right, buddy.